we, we are going to hear from Pastor Rick, our lead pastor. It's amazing. Let me tell you something cool you may not know. Our ministry started 11 years ago. We were in a, and our church was in a car dealership in downtown Conway, and things were getting too full. Pastor Rick could tell you better than me because I was not there. I was just coming to school here. But the reason why, the initial reason why Elevation started was an overflow service for college students in the evening. Because we could not fit in the church. It got too big. So then we started having college students. Pastor Rick would go change out of his blazer jacket. He'd wear like a Hawaiian Jimmy Buffett shirt. And he'd preach the word of God. He'd preach the same message. That's what they told me. That's what Garrett said. I'm sorry if that's wrong. Uh, don't fire me. Okay, so... Um, and that's the kind of the way our ministry is birthed, and then it, it became a ministry. It used to be just an overflow service. So it's really special to me to see Pastor Rick's the one who literally started this. In some way or another, from them moving here, initially we all wouldn't be here, but this ministry wouldn't be here because of him and uh, Pastor Michelle. And so we're honored and excited to hear from him. So I need you all to take notes, treat him like you. You're going to laugh. It's going to be amazing. But can we get a loud and proud? Can we get on our feet and show honor and honors to our lead pastor, Pastor Rick? He's like, come on, man. All right. Okay. All right. Good enough. Good enough. Very proud of Amir. Uh, Neil Greathouse pastors this campus, and uh, his family is solid. And uh, he's in Peru right now. Uh, but one of one of the leaders that he has raised up, and he, he did a great job, and that is Amir. And Amir, I don't know if you could tell, but Amir, he's in love. That brother is sick in love. And uh, when I walked in tonight, I saw Bethany, and I said, where's the ring giver? And, uh, and she, oh, she's here somewhere. And, uh, but I, I want to I stay in the pocket of what I think the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Sometimes people will ask me, how do you know you're a pastor? How do you know that? And, uh, man, I'm reminded of it often. This week, I ran into a gentleman. I was speaking at Little Rock Christian Academy in Little, in Little Rock, a bunch of high school kids. After it was done, I happened to go to, to eat lunch. I was alone, so I don't have insecurity about that. So I was just going to a restaurant all by myself. And, uh, and I saw this businessman who is in our church, and, and he was acting a little peculiar. And, but he asked me to join him. And then it was about five minutes into the conversation he told me that he left our church. And, uh, and, and then he told me why. He thought that the music was, was too loud and things like that. Typically, what I think of when I hear that is I think, wow, I bet, I bet we dropped it somewhere. We didn't love him enough. And I'm telling you right now, most of the time, that's the truth. This particular time, I was thinking about if he was fragile in any way. And, and way too often, Neil and I were talking about this last week, and he preached on it, and I know he aced it, but he called me and he interviewed me about his sermon last week uh, just from one phrase that I said. He wrote the sermon. I didn't write it, but it was from one phrase, and the phrase comes from, we are supposed to repent and then follow after Christ, but what's really happening right now is we're staying on the same path and we're asking Christ to come and join us. And I, and I, I think it's huge that, that we understand it's hard to serve God. But the point is, a lot of us are fragile. I realized I was fragile during worship for a minute. 
because I was totally into it. How many appreciate the worship here? Come on, man. I was totally into it. And I looked up for a second, and I saw something that didn't go exactly right. And then immediately, I was out of, I was out of the zone, man. And then I realized, gosh, I'm, I'm so fragile in my relationship with God. Somewhere. You're fragile somewhere. There's a weak link somewhere inside of you. And I think we need to know what it is. Here's where I think some of you are weak in your link. And that is God is calling you to be in the ministry and you're running from it and you're great at running from it. I've kind of been on this war path for a little bit because I think it's the enormity of the vision. I keep thinking about the vision, how big it is. And I'm always saying, God, you better call a lot of people. And I can sense the Holy Spirit saying, I got this. So my concern now is no longer if God's going to do his part. I mean, no, that's pretty good. But I'm concerned if you're going to do your part for God. And I just want to be obedient. I came here with something to say. But I mean, no, it's okay to deviate if the Holy Spirit tells you to. So around the room, if this, we're going bold. You can't sneak in on this one. If you know that God is messing with you, you may not have concluded that he's calling you into the ministry. But you sense something happening. He's grabbing a hold of your heart. I remember when that was going on with me. And it's a freak out for you. It's intimidating and you don't necessarily want to do it. I get it. I wanted to be a professional golfer. That sounds a lot more fun. So if you're here right now and you sense that the Lord is messing with you and it's a freak out for you or you're not really totally ready to accept that, then I'm asking you to stand up all around this room and I'm just going to look around until you do. Sometimes when you are in the ministry, you feel like you're all alone. And it's like God called you in a, and, and it's just going to be a lonely place forever. And so this, probably is probably, this moment is probably just for me. Just to give me confidence that God is stirring up some hearts. So I just want to ask you, why are you so afraid? I mean, I understand why you're so afraid, but, but I still think it's a great question because Jesus asked the disciples that. I'm not speaking on this right now. I spoke on it in Greenbrier recently. But the Lord told the disciples, get in the boat. He said, we're going to the other side. And they forgot when they hit a storm, they forgot what he said, that we're going to the other side because they knew a lot about storms. They knew when it was dangerous. Young people know when they're in a bind. And the wind started hitting, and it was throwing this boat around. And this is what they did. They looked over at Jesus, and he was sleeping. And this is what it feels like when you're called. It's like, I'm in the boat with God. I'm doing my part. And here he is right by me, and he doesn't even care. And they shook him, and they, they, they literally said this. They said, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. And he stood up, and he calmed the storms. 
And then he looked at them and he said, why are you so afraid? Because he knew the call that was on their life. So I'm not trying to stir up emotion. I'm just trying to get you to obey God. If you would, just find the, look around and see who's standing beside you. These are good people, and they're, they're afraid. And it's scary to be called by God. You don't feel worthy. You don't know what to do. You don't even know where to go. But I want you to find them. Come on, walk around the room, everybody. I don't care. Guys, girls, just find the closest person to you or somebody you know. I don't care how you do it. But get with somebody. And I don't, I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to pray to yourself. I'm going to lead in prayer. Spirit of the living God, I want to thank you for calling us into your ministry. Lord, we may not know the full scope of it for, for years. And it's probably not something that we start tonight. But we're ready to be trained. We're teachable, God. And I pray that our fear just turns to admittance that, that we need to learn. And we want to be like your followers, like your disciples, the early church, that they were unschooled, ordinary people, but it was clear they had spent time with you. Let it be said and let it be done. Speak to them, Lord, and I pray that they'll boldly go after it. And if it happens to be, oh God, with the vision of the Arkansas that you see, then thank you for that. Because it's enormous what you're asking us to do. But extremely small if you're involved in it. So we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Pat that person on the back a little bit. because Just pat them. Come on. It's, they're, being, they're called into the ministry here in this house. I think I have my son, my son, and my daughter. Grace might even be here. Grace, are you here? Grace is right over there. Stand up, Grace. That girl is pretty. And she's not dating anybody either. Ah. So, brothers, let me just clear it up. Here's what's got to happen for you to talk to her. Number one, you got to like LSU. Okay, so I eliminated everybody already. So you don't need to know number two. But I'm going to tell you anyway. You got to like Boudin. Number three, you got to be able to preach like a wild man because you're going to be in the ministry unless you can't preach and then you won't be talking to her. And then you better look good because I ain't looking at nasty every day for the rest of my life. And you got to have good hygiene. You got you to have to brush your teeth, brothers. And you're going to have to have a job. Because I ain't paying for her bills. You got to hook her up. She'll probably pay for yours because that girl's going places. But she's five star. She's just an amazing girl. And I know she hates this. She wish, she so wishes she was not here tonight. But she is pretty and godly and going places. Give it up for Grace Beasley. I love that girl. I love, I love that girl. So, sorry. None of the brothers are going to talk to you tonight. All right, let's go to the Word. Anybody ready for the Word? Uh, I, I, I probably, how much time do I have? No, I just want to stay in the zone. I, on the 30 minutes, okay. All right, let's go. Let me, let me eliminate that, eliminate this, eliminate that. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. 
It wasn't until about two or three o'clock this afternoon, although I worked on um, what we're going to talk about for quite a while. I spent a lot of time in the Lord with the Lord in prayer, and it's really hard for me to hear from God. It's not uncommon for me to have to spend a lot of time to pray before I hear from the Lord. Most pastors, even in this city, it's not the way they live. They they go in a room, and I, I wish I had that gift. And they say, Lord, what do I preach on? And they just start writing. I can write, but I have no idea if it's the Lord's will. And then ultimately, I, I do figure out what it is. And, uh, and I love those moments. So I'm, I'm very sure what I'm going to speak about for the next few minutes uh, is, is what the Lord wanted me to speak to you about. So are y'all ready? All right, let's start out. This is, what I, this is the title of what I want to talk about. How do you have a great Christian life? I mean, how, how to have a great Christian life. How do you do that? Uh, this week, I was talking to a group of people th- this week, I think just even last night, and uh, how we've been reading through the Bible and Joshua, he was just full of fear. His people were full of fear. And then one day he was walking down the road. He was trying to get his orders. He had to succeed Moses. Moses was the most incredible leader that ever lived according to the Bible. And he has to succeed him. And then he's got to go or Moses couldn't even take the people. A huge vision. And he's walking down the road and he saw uh, a man and he said, he could tell this man was, was intimidating. Some theologians believe it was Jesus. And he looked at him and he said, who are you? And he had a sword in his hand and he said, who are you? Are you a friend or a foe? Like, are you the enemy? Are you, are you with me or are you getting ready to kill me? And this man yelled out, I'm the commander in the Lord's army. And I just want to tell you that if you have a huge plan for your life to go and do something, you're going to have to know that the commander of the Lord's army is standing in front of you with a sword, and he is ready to fight for you. He is not a foe. He is a friend. And we was re- when I was reading that, it was just encouraging to me to see it. But I, I jumped ahead to some other reading today that's not in our one-year Bible reading. How many of you are reading the one-year Bible? You're in it. Thank you. Mark chapter 10. I think that was Heather. Mark chapter 10. She even sings when she says holla. Okay. Mark chapter 10 verse 17 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Could you look here for a minute? This is a good start. Okay. Literally, this was similar. If you, if you study it in the Greek, in the original, it's like this brother was running to the Lord like like someone going in the home plate. He was going so fast, he had to slow down. The only way to slow down is he had to slide in like the home plate to stop. He was so excited about being in the presence of the Lord. That, that's what happened right here, right here. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, I, I love the way he just cuts through it all. He said, why do you call me good? It's always a test question from Christ. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So he goes to the commandments, not all of them, just the last six. From number five, he mentions that. He doesn't keep them in order. Jesus just going to these commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother teacher. Now it's back to this rich young ruler. 
Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy, which is probably not even true, but he's just trying to impress the Lord. Have you ever tried to impress the Lord? I've kept all these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, he said. So what he did is he went for that weak spot. I told you mine earlier. It's I'm a perfectionist when it comes to church, and it's wrong, and it grieves the Spirit of God, and I'm working on it. It's a character flaw in my life. And, and I'm going to ace this before Christ comes back. But what is your character flaw? So he's looking at this rich young ruler, and he's, Jesus looked at him, and it's awesome to be looked at by Christ. Because he's going to bring up, it's very important you understand, he's going to bring up what can change your life forever. He's not bringing it up because he wants you to know, wow, you're scum. You, when I bring this up, you're going to see that you're nothing. This is why I'm bringing it up. This is not what the Lord does. He brings it up so you can have a better journey with him. So he's bringing it up. He's just bringing it up. He says, he looks at him. One thing you lack. Come on, this is what we got to work on. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. The Lord didn't say that to hardly anybody he was talking to. But he said it to this young man. Why? Because this was his weakness. He said, now, then, then you come and you follow me. Now, let's look what happened. At this, this man's face fell, so he, he's going depressed. Some of you are sad. It's always the saddest decision you can ever make when you say, not yet, God. So he's sad, and the Bible says, because he had great wealth. Okay, we just read every word in this whole passage of Scripture, so let me ask you some questions, but don't cheat. What was this brother's name? Where did he get his money? Tell me something about his family. What was he good at? We don't know any of these things. But I am totally convinced if he would have said, yes, sir, I'll do it. As a, as a Christian, he would probably be a household name. We'd probably know everything about him. Can you, can you imagine what his life could have been like? Now, he may have gotten traction the very next day. God has a lot of grace. But I believe if he would have said, Lord, you're right. I, I'm coming right back. I'm doing it. There's just no telling what, what could have happened. So what I don't want to talk about is how to have the worst life you can imagine. Totally depressed, walking away from God. We have enough depressed young people in the world. I want to talk to you about how to have a great Christian life. And I'm going random. These are autonomous thoughts, sort of. But I want you to write them down. I think it will help you. Number one, stay on your face before God. Stay on your face before God. My pastor, before I moved here, uh, my founding pastor, and uh, he looked at me, and I think he saw pride in my life. And so I told him, I said, hey, I'm moving to Arkansas. I'm going to plant a church. And, and if it's okay with you guys, and they, they, it was a long story, but they, they prayed over us October the 1st, 2000, the year 2000. And then I met with him. I said, do you have any advice for me? And he said this. He said, 
A man or a woman that is on their face before God will never fall from that position. Okay, so I'm convinced he told me that because he knew that it was pride in my life and I was going to try to do things without the Lord. So I took his advice. I'm not the strongest Christian in the world, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to see God every day because I'm scared without him. And I want to encourage you as young people, because here's what I know. Most people do not have a prayer life. I don't necessarily know why. It even happens to pastors. Like I get to travel around and teach people how to build a church. And if I ever start out, and a lot of times the first thing I want to talk about is Pray first. It's Jesus that builds the church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail it when he builds the church. He's the builder of the church. But when I teach on it, nobody's really paying attention. And then when I get into how you build it and the practical application outside of prayer, then they start taking notes. It's shocking to me. The the Bible is so clear that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that he will add everything unto us I often here's a character flaw the Lord told me to be really honest with you guys I often find myself I don't know how the percentage but I often find myself putting ministry in front of God ministry becomes number one I don't necessarily know why I think I get tricked because I think I'm doing something for God so it's got to be for God but no God wants me to love him not the ministry him. And here's a tendency. God, bless, raise your hand if the Lord has ever blessed you in your life with anything. Just one thing. Well, the tendency is when he takes care of you, you fall in love with a gift and you forget about the giver of the gift. It'd be like a mirror if he forgot that God gave him Bethany. If he just started all of a sudden, how weird would it be if he started walking around and said, it's just because I got it going on. It's not his muscles. Although he has some. It's not his face, although he's not ugly. It's, it's God who did it. Come on, give me a hand for a mirror. God did it. God did that. What do you often put in front of God? If everybody in this church prayed like you, what type of praying church would this be? Okay, number two. Be authentic. Now, I'm not going to talk about this one long because I've wrote a book on it and I preach on it all the time. But I'm still going to read this verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. Every day. This is the early church. And if you want to know, when you're reading through the book of Acts, and I highly recommend it, you've got to know the whole thing is God's original intent, the fundamentals of it. And so here here it is. He just starts the church. Uh, They had the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, what does it mean? It means 50. They were waiting 50 days for the Holy Spirit. He filled them. It was incredible. A lot of people thought they were drunk and going crazy. Why did the Lord do that? For one reason, one reason only. It wasn't so they could feel the presence of God. It wasn't so they could say, wow, I got it, and you don't. It was for one reason, to build a church, nothing else. Everything God ever gives you is for himself, and he is interested in building the kingdom of God. Does anybody agree with me? So here's what happens. Every day, they continued to meet and together in the temple courts. Of course they did, because they were on fire for God. Every day, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together, here's the word, with glad and sincere hearts. 
So they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course he did. If everybody's sincere, everybody's authentic, everybody's humble, and they're happy, and they're just laughing and having a blast, and they have the joy of the Lord, how could they not be growing? Authenticity. Number three. I'll never forget, and this is the story I tell all the time. Michelle and I first got married. I was so good at faking our marriage. It wasn't good. Our first year of marriage was not good. And we were arguing all the time, but we would walk into a, an event like this room. And every time, it was notorious that people would come up to us and they'd go, wow, we wish we had a great marriage like you, if it was married people. And then I, I would all, I'd put my arm around Michelle like, yeah, yeah. We were faking our relationship. And it was a horrible way to live. And one day, uh, Michelle and I got into an argument. She said something that bothered me. And I said, Michelle, shut up. I'm sick and tired of you. First year of marriage, this precious, beautiful lady. And I'm yelling at her. And she's crushed. I'll never get her bottom lip like, what are you doing? But I didn't have time to deal with that. I had to go prepare a sermon. I didn't have time to deal with it. So I went in the room and I'm saying, Lord God, I'm, uh, give me a sermon. I mean, know where the sermon was. I went back in there and I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. And she asked me this. She said, who are you? Are you being real when we were dating, when we were engaged, when you're preaching, when we're at, at an event? Or when you're yelling at me in the living room. She goes, I'm with you forever, but I got to know who you are. Well, I ended up preaching that weekend. And while I was preaching, the Lord spoke to me to tell the whole church what I said to my wife. And I'm telling you, awkward. <laughs> like, I'm telling you now, but it was 28 years ago. This time, it was the day before. And I told the whole church what I said to Michelle. And I looked at my wife on the front row. It was the first time she had ever seen me authentic. And I looked at her and I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? She's like. <laughs> and, and she forgave me. But here's what I want to tell you. It was in that moment that I sensed the Lord put his arms around me like, this is my boy. We're going places now. God is looking for someone who's sincere, someone who's real. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, I loved to smoke pot back in those days. Sorry, Grace, I'm not sure if you're aware of all this. And uh, Tanner's here too. And uh, so I was just totally into it. And after I got saved, come on, track with me. Everybody's going to Potville. So when I, when I got saved... I just missed it, and I knew it would mess me up. So I tried to find the verses in the Bible where, you know, you can have herbs. And uh, you guys have been down that road. It's just so obvious that you're just working it, man. And, and so I called my, my uncle on the phone, and I said, I said, I believe I know where I'm going to fall. And he goes, I don't know what you're getting ready to tell me, but you're already stronger just starting this conversation. Like for some of you, you're having sex with one another and, and you just keep hiding it and justifying it 
and it's bothering you because you love God, but you're going to have to call somebody and tell them the truth or you're stuck. So I called him. I said, Uncle Randall, I know where I'm going to fall. If I get a chance to smoke pot, I'm going to do it. I just know for sure. And he goes, well, then just seek God every day. And you tell him this is where you're vulnerable. And, and I'm going to pray for you every day. It was sometime later. I was pumping gas in the car. And I, was, I dropped my keys on the ground. And they landed on top of a roll joint. And I literally picked it up and went, praise God. And then I re- remembered. And I put it in my pocket. And I got in the car. I got on the interstate. I was all alone. I wouldn't have hurt anybody. I forgot about God for a second. I punched in the cigarette lighter, rolled down the window, put the joint in my mouth, and reached to grab the cigarette lighter. And as I was moving it to my mouth, I remembered, this is what I've been seeking God about. My uncle's praying for me right now. I can do this. I rolled down the window the rest of the way and threw it out the window. It was like victory. I preached that one time, and a lady said, you're not supposed to throw stuff out the window. I said, it's more illegal to smoke pot in the car. (laughs) Be honest with somebody. Number three, honor your mom and your dad and authority. There's ten commandments, but only one commandment has a promise attached to it. And it's the one that says, honor your mom and your dad. And your life will go well with you. It even says that God will bless the land where you live. And this is what it's saying. That if you do it at the place where you live, like your dorm, that it'll just have favor with it. Honoring your mom and your dad. That's hard to do. But here's what I've noticed. Most of you where you've lost your joy, it's because of the disconnect right there. Now, some of your parents are lost and maybe hooked on drugs and they're crazy people maybe and uh, and mean. And so it's complicated. But you still have to honor them. Even if it's just in one-way conversation, if it gets... For those that are extremely complicated, talk to Amir and others. They'll, They'll show you how to do it. But generally speaking... Like answering text and giving them a call. My dad, my dad called me over. I didn't even know this was happening. I love my dad. My dad called me over one day and he said, why don't you love me? I said, dad, I love you like crazy. No, you don't. Yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. I said, why do you say that? He said, because when we talk on the phone at the end, you don't say, I love you, dad. And I said, I don't. I I was thinking I did. He said, you, you have it in about two years. He was keeping track. I said, Dad, it's never going to happen again. I say it twice now because I can't remember if I said it the first time. And just the favor of that. It's just the word, man. I don't know why I'm talking about honoring your parents right now, but. In Malachi, you can read it later, later, chapter 4, verse 6. Don't even show the verse right now. It says that God will return the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. If 
we submit to God. Next point. Be a great person to marry someday. I always like to joke around. I know your biggest fear because you guys are trying to do this right. Your biggest fear is that Jesus is going to come back before you get married. I mean, don't act like you never thought about that. I know you want just at least a week. <laughs> now, for those of you not serving God, you don't need a week. You can do whatever you want to do right now. But when you're fearing God, you want to do it his way. But I, I think a better way to prepare for it is not just praying that the Lord doesn't return. I think a better way to do it is just to get ready. Just to be, this is not a word, but marryable. And, uh, and, and so I just thought of a few things. I'm just going to throw them out real quick. Men, boys. First of all, I want to tell you, all right, I'm going to talk to the boys so you can become a man. I'm going to talk to the men so you'll stay a man. I'm going to show the men how to become a boy again. The Bible says, because here's, here's where a lot of your dads are, and I'm not slamming your parents because I, I have to honor them, but, but the generation above us, they used a lot of authority in marriage. It's not uncommon for the generation above me to say, I'm the leader around here. Wives submit to the husbands. I'm just telling you, I've been pastoring a long time. I've never seen that tactic work. I've never seen a woman go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that verse. <laughs> Lord. I, I've just never seen it. It is in the Bible, but that's not how you get it. The Bible before that, it says for a man to lay his life down for his wife, like Christ gave his life up for the church. I always joke around. The Bible tells a man, I'm not going to be able to finish this. I'm not even close. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up. But the Bible tells, okay, y'all, come on, track with me. The Bible doesn't tell a woman this. It tells a man. I love to joke around about this because it's very interesting to me. In that passage of Scripture, read Ephesians chapter 5, 22 on down. But in that passage of Scripture, it tells a man to love his wife like he loves himself. It doesn't tell a woman to love her husband. The Bible doesn't even tell the woman to love her husband. I'll tell you what it tells her to do in a minute. It, it tells a man, lo love your wife. And it doesn't just say love your wife. It says love your wife like you love yourself doesn't tell women, because women, they don't love themselves like a man loves up at himself. Because we can look in a mirror. A woman can be a beautiful, look in the mirror and find something wrong. Like, I don't like this one piece of hair, having a bad hair, just hair, one hair day. Okay? I mean, God forbid, is a little breakout, like almost red, not quite. You got makeup, just put it on top of it. But it's a bad day. A man can be ugly. I mean, fat, hair on his back in front of the mirror is like, what's up? We love ourselves. I'll tell you that right now. So it tells a man, you love your, you love the, you loved, love the women like you love yourself. Like, love that lady. Love, love. How? By giving your life up for them. It's not about lust. It's not about the beauty thing. It's about you just lay your life down. Okay, the 
then it, what does it tell the women? Because all the men are mad right now, but you get ready to be happy, man. You're going to be happy, happy. It tells the women, it says, it does not say, respect your husband. Now, remember, I'm training you how to get ready for marriage. It doesn't tell you to respect your husband. It tells you you must respect him. Because God made that man. And I'm shocked. I'm a confident person, okay? But if my wife doesn't respect me, which I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a time where she hasn't. But there's been some times where I wondered. And they're the most vulnerable times. If you ask a man, what is love? He'll give you the definition of respect. That's why the Bible doesn't tell us, you ladies, in Ephesians, to love your husband. It says you respect him. Because a man has to have it. When he goes to get married, when a man gets married, in that moment that somebody says the vows, and it's in that moment, all this, he's got his groomsmen, he's got his best man, he's got his pops, he's got his people. In that moment, the mantle jumps off everybody around him for encouragement, and it lands right on top of the bride. She has all power. So what are men looking for? Happy, respectful, godly women. I've never met a man yet that said, I just want to marry a depressed chick who hates everybody and gossips all the time. That's what I want. And so the drama, I've also never met a man that says, I just like somebody that kicks in a lot of drama. I, I like to walk into a room where there's really no drama and there's a lot of peace, but when she shows up, she like kicks in the drama. I just love drama. This is never going to happen. Can all the brothers say amen? Don't say it too loud. Don't say it too loud. <laughs> Number five, I'm going to fly through these now. Be generous. Be generous. Be a tither, a percentage giver. Look at your check. You don't have a checkbook. Look at your account. Look at you don't have an account. Look at, look at your online. Look at your, your money. If you make $10 a month, and some of you it's a little less than that, but whatever it is, doesn't matter if it's $10 a month or $10,000 a month. Look over and see if you're a percentage giver. There's no wiggle room in it, and you can't give it. That's really false. You can only bring it. The Bible doesn't say give it. It says bring it to the storehouse. Ladies, if you want to know if that brother loves God, just see if he's a giver. And it's the other way around, too. So in case you haven't, don't be discouraged. And a lot of you don't even come to New Life Church. But just go to the church that you go to and give. The, be a tither there. Because generally speaking, a stingy person doesn't make the greatest spouse. How many stingy great leaders have you ever met in your life? Wow, that was good. Number six, <laughs> stay in your lane. I don't want to talk about this much, but I'm, I, I've... Uh, I've, I've written a book, but, and it turned out good, but when they asked me to write it, they told me this. They said, we want you to become a writer who happens to be a pastor. This is the way we have the strategy. 
And I said, there's no chance. I am a pastor, and I'm gonna, I might write. Everybody is going to try to get you out of your lane and your call, especially if you're insecure. If you're insecure, you're going to see somebody, oh, I want to be like that person. I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want, and you'll jump out of your lane, and you'll go and spend a year trying to be like someone else. Find out where your lane is. Are you all tracking with me? Number seven, forgive people. Peter one time went to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive? Is it seven times? He was trying to impress the Lord because the, the Roman law, said, Jewish law, said that you had to forgive three times. So he doubles it and he adds one. He said, how many times do I have to forgive? It's probably seven times he's trying to impress the Lord. And the Lord said, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And the Lord wasn't trying to say 490. What he was trying to say is, if you know how many times you have forgiven, then you haven't forgiven. And then he gets into this whole thing on a king had somebody owed him $12 million and he forgave the debt. And that person, after being forgiven $12 million, he walks out and he saw somebody else who owed him seven bucks and he started choking him. And it's in the Bible. The reason, Because Roman law said you could choke somebody if owed you money. How many want to bring that back? And he's just choking him right after he was forgiven $12 million. He's choking someone else. This is like forgiveness. The reason why you have trouble forgiving people is because you've forgotten the enormous debt that has been forgiven of you by God. And it'll be hard for you to bestow forgiveness on other people if you forget how much forgiveness has been given to you. That's the reason why the Lord said the same portion of forgiveness that you give to other people, that's the amount of forgiveness I'm going to give to you. I didn't say trust. No. Forgiveness means you can forgive them on the spot, like in prayer. I forgive them, Lord. You may cry when you do it, but it doesn't mean trust. The next thing, you don't have to call them on the phone and go, I want to allow you back into my life to hurt me again. No, that's trust. The Bible doesn't say forgive and forget. That's a slogan. It says forgive and remember. Number eight, be a son and a daughter in the house. This is the last one I want to talk about. I'm just going to cut this short, but it's still a good place. Be a son and a daughter in the house. Be a son and a daughter in the house. Let's bow our heads.